Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young business leaders, welcome to the YBT Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 97. I am really excited today to bring to you my guest, Riley Tincher. Uh, he is a um, he's an author, he's a coach, he's a speaker, and I don't have his bio in front of me, so I'm actually going to let him introduce himself because he's got a lot of really cool stuff going on, an awesome story that I can't wait to share with you, my audience. So Riley, welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, thank you, Evan, for having me. Uh, This is such an honor uh, to be a part of this amazing platform. And thank you for giving me that honor to share my story. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm a, I mean, you did a great job of uh, introing me, but uh, (laughs) just to go a little deeper, I'm a mental conditioning coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just another word for sports psychologist. I got my master's degree in sports pedagogy, which is a fancy word for coaching uh, from Baylor University with an emphasis uh, in sports psychology. I worked with Dr. Ray for Lutz, uh, who unfortunately is not with us anymore. Um, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also an author. I wrote a book called Pitching Against Myself, which is about my baseball career. I was an All-American pitcher at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. I was an all-star in the Northwoods League. And I wrote about my entire career from start to finish and all of the extreme hardships I overcame on and off the field. Uh, and also, it's it's essentially two books in one. The first book is about my baseball career. And the second book is the book that I wish I would have been able to read back when I was playing. But we, we'll get more into that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the third thing, like you said, I'm a speaker. I've had the great fortune of, you know, traveling all over the country and speaking to teams and uh, really essentially sharing a message that I wish I would have heard back when I was playing. Yeah. Uh, and also on top of that, too, I uh, forgot to mention, um, I own a mentorship program called Coachability, uh, where I work with athletes one on one. I've had the great honor of working with some of the greatest athletes in the country um, over the last two years. And uh, it's been an incredible blessing. And uh, it's really my chance. Again, you'll you'll notice a common theme in this conversation of of creating what I wish existed. Mm. And really, this mentorship program is is a mentorship program that I wish I had when I was playing. Yeah. Um, and to be that voice that I wish I would have heard constantly when I was playing. So that's that's what I'm doing in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I love how you're talking about like writing the book that you wish you had had when you were a kid. I mean, that's actually the foundation of this podcast is really kind of speaking to that next generation of business leaders. Uh, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship. We talk a lot about leadership. 
Uh, we talk a lot about success and that's not necessarily limited to business itself. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to talk about how success is multifaceted. Yeah. And so that's why I want to bring on people like you, like a lot of the guests that we have on in the past, because we can talk about some of those clues that success leaves behind. Some of the things that we wish we knew, maybe we're putting some emphasis on some things that we think are important, but in the grand scheme of things, as you get a little bit further down your leadership path, you realize that there are some more things important than financial gain and actual uh, title and position and that kind of stuff. So yeah. um, I'm really excited to have this conversation because I, I, you're, we're going to be approaching it from maybe a little bit different of an angle. And and what I want to really kind of dive in first for my guests or for my audience that probably uh, is scratching their head a little bit like I was when you said sports psychology, <laughs> like what exactly does that mean? Does that mean like, you know, when I'm uh, playing basketball and I'm just, I'm not breaking eye contact with the guy, I'm getting in his head and I'm breaking <laughs> it down? Or is that the mental toughness, like the the Tiger Woods stuff? Like what, what, would be your kind of overviewing explanation of what sports psychology is and then why do, why is it so important that you actually need to have a mental coach for sports uh that's a that's a great question i'm not going to answer it how i answered it the other day by saying it's the <laughs> psychology of sports um, but i mean you nailed it on the head it's but it's both sides it's it's knowing how to you know necessarily uh put yourself in a position to defeat your opponent uh, because you are facing somebody, you are competing against somebody. But the other side of it is the side that I'm more focused on, and that is, again, the mental toughness side, uh, the mental performance side, and helping the athletes get to the point where they are preparing not only physically but mentally uh, for their whatever it is, whatever sport it is that they play and whatever they're trying to achieve. Um, so, yeah, you nailed it on the head with the Tiger Woods thing. Um, he's a, he's a great example. And actually the, the world of sports psychology as, as untapped as, as it is, it's actually been around for a while. Um, and the reason being is they actually created it for golf mm -hmm. because they realized that in golf, it's so much of you versus you and you're, you're only by yourself the entire day on the course. Mm -hmm. And when you're by yourself, I had a great coach tell me this the other day. I, I asked him, you know, what's more important, uh, training physically or training mentally? And his answer, like immediately without hesitation, was mentally because you are with your brain 24 hours a day. So learning how to dissect the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts that you're having, not changing them because that's impossible, um, but actually seeing them for what they are objectively and learning how to not have not give it power and mm -hmm. uh, ultimately not allow it to dictate our actions that's a big one um, but yeah uh, sports psychology it's 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 hard to define necessarily because because there's just so much that hasn't yet been discovered right you know what I mean um, so they're finding out all the time new different new things that we can implement uh, to help our athletes prepare for the mental side of the game. Um, and it's just ever changing. I mean, much like the rest of the world, if, if you're, everything is dynamic, everything, yeah. <laughs> like the only, the only constant is change, like, yeah. you know, um, so the same thing applies to sports psychology. One of the things I want to kind of dig a little deeper in is like, how do we develop mental toughness? Like how, how are you kind of getting to that point where you're in that big moment, you're, 
maybe you're you're taking the final shot of the game. You're you're the final at bat, and you pot- potentially have the chance to hit the winning home run. Or you're let's say you know we'll go uh, on the baseball side again. You're a pitcher, and you're trying to get that last strikeout. You're 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 the guy, the 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 really relief guy. You've come out. You're Mariano Rivera, right? You're walking out on the field. I think he just walking on the field is like mentally messing with people. But oh yeah, let's say let's say, let's say you're maybe not him, maybe, but that's your job. You're, <laughs> you're there to close, and you got to get those last two strikes. How do you build your mental capacity up to where when you're in that moment, you're you're not questioning yourself and you're 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 yeah. mentally strong. Uh, wonderful question. I think there's a number of factors that go into it, but first and foremost. Uh, I'm so glad you brought up Mariano Rivera because I'm a huge <laughs> Mariano Rivera fan. I'm a huge Yankees fan. Uh, if I had to pick a team, um, I, I work with a lot of Major League Baseball guys, so it's hard for me to say that I'm I'm. This is my team. I can't root for you. Yeah. That's my team. But uh, you know the fact that he pitched for 20 plus years, and he was he's considered the greatest closer of all time, and he had one pitch. Yeah, that's incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> So you literally know what's coming your way as a hitter uh-huh. and you still can't hit it. It's that's <laughs> just that to me is mental toughness uh to a T, like to mm-hmm. a T. Uh and so again, going into the many factors of it, um, uh, I think I think mental toughness. Uh I have three different three different uh analogies or stories that I can share with you. Um, one of one of which is I, I when I work with the youth athletes that I work with. Um, one of the exercises that I have them do is I have them define traits of character, character mm-hmm. traits, words that I would associate with character, like leadership, you know, uh, uh, charisma, compassion, empathy, things of that nature. And one of my favorite words for my athletes to define is grit. So I have them because I think it's one of the greatest qualities we could have because to me, m- grit is mental toughness. Mm-hmm. So to me, so I have my, you know, these young guys from eight to, you know, 14 years old define these words and they usually come back to me with what Google told them it was. And so I challenge that. I challenge those definitions uh, until the point of they can kind of make their own definition of it. Mm -hmm. So I ask them, why, why do you believe that to be true? What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Uh, And I was working with a nine-year-old, one of my nine-year-old baseball football guys, um, I think it was two weeks ago and we were defining grit and I, I challenged, I challenged his first definition and started talking to him about what all of these words mean. And all of a sudden he just stops and he goes, so you're telling me that grit is the ability to persevere through anything because we have the utmost certainty that everything will work together for our good. And I'm just like, I, I was blown away by that answer. And it left me speechless because two things, two things were revealed to me. Wisdom doesn't know age. Wisdom <laughs> is not defined by age. The fact that a nine-year-old can come up with that is amazing. And then the other thing is the foundation of mental toughness is faith. So if I come into a presser situation, like the analogy you gave of coming in to close out a game, there's a lot of pressure there if you create that. I think, to me, pressure is a matter of perspective. So if I were to go in and f- with the mentality that I can persevere through anything, 
because I have the utmost certainty that everything will work out for my good, no matter the outcome of this game, then that's going to relieve a little bit of the pressure. Mm-hmm. I think also pressure is a good thing because pressure creates diamonds, you know, and pressure, it's hard to accomplish any great thing without pressure. But if left untapped, if left undissected, if if seen from a subjective eye, pressure can crush you. Mm-hmm. Literally, it can crush you like it almost did to me. Um, and again, we'll get into that later. But um, yeah, I think I think pr- uh, pressure, mental toughness is a matter of perspective. And again, having that level of faith, the foundation of mental toughness is faith and a belief, not only in yourself, but in who is taking care of you and who your creator is yeah. uh, and what that actually means. So it's a wonderful question. I think it's also uh, mental toughness can be developed, not only through de- through uh, uh, perspective, um, but it can also be developed through, you know, allowing kids to struggle and, and giving them that sense of achievement when they finally accomplish that thing that they've been working so hard at and, you know, making mistake after mistake and maybe making a fail, failed attempt after a failed attempt. And finally they get it. And all of a sudden they get that sense of achievement. I mean, we've all had that. Um, so again, I think, I think it's, I think it's built through perspective. And I think it's built through achievement uh, and allowing the kids to struggle. Uh, it Now it, it's really hard in this society because there are so many options for kids, so many countless that it's made it very easy to quit mm-hmm. and not finish what you start. Um, and they're losing that sense of perseverance. Um, so it's, it's our responsibility as leaders, as parents, as coaches to bring that back. Well, I love how you're talking about grit. I, your definition is probably a little bit different than the definition that I was thinking of. I, when I think of grit, I think of like sandpaper. And I think of the ability to get through any situation, but not necessarily be damaged by it. Yeah. You're actually impacting the thing that you're touching. Yeah. So you're actually, mm. uh, you have this strength to you and you have this grain to you mm-hmm. that you leave an imprint on everything that you do and in some cases if we're going to take a little bit further if you have true grit and and as you get into a higher quality of grit that's where a polish becomes uh where you get a sheen or or you actually Mm -hmm. make things better by you interacting with it Mm -hmm. Uh, i think you're talking about grit in a little bit different sense but that was like kind of initially what i went to is like you're looking at like a really high quality sandpaper that you're it doesn't even feel that that coarse Mm -hmm. but that has in some uh, instances the best qualities to make something probably even more dynamic than you ever would have imagined Right. And I think, you know, funny story, the nine-year-old that I was mentioning before, he actually came to me and said, "Um, I don't, you know, I looked up grit. I don't think it, I don't think it's the one about sandpaper, is it? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, 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 it's not that one. But it's, but great, great analogy. Uh, Personally, you know, when you're saying that, I think it's, I think that is the result of grit because Mm -hmm. you're, because when you have a level of grit, you are also inspiring others around you to have the same thing. So that is the impact that you're talking about. Uh, That's great. That's really great, Evan. Yeah. 
Well, I love how we're talking about mental uh, toughness and we're, we're talking about sports and, and just uh, all these different things that we can do to develop ourselves and, and make ourselves better in, in those moments, in those areas where we're in those big moments and we're, we're really striving for the things that we want to accomplish. But I think the other side of mental toughness, and I think this is probably the more important side, is that the personal side of mental toughness when maybe your physical abilities or maybe the talent and skills that you have don't necessarily uh, uh, follow you in that mental area. So, for example, um, we talk about Tiger Woods earlier. Tiger Woods is not the best golfer in the world anymore. Right. Um, and so a lot of his identity and everything that he did mm. uh, up to that point, he had so much confidence and strength walking into a, a golf course. He knew he was going to win every single game. Yep. I think now he walks onto a golf course, he may think he has a chance to win, but I don't think he has that that full confidence that he's going to win every time. So how does a guy uh, kind of take that mental toughness now to where maybe they were at the top of their game and now they've kind of shifted down a little bit and and kind of reevaluate everything and but still have the ability to, to compete? That's a, that's a wonderful question. Uh, one of the greatest questions I've had about sports psychology. Um, that's tough. I, you mentioned the, there was a big word that you said in there, and that's identity uh -huh. uh, and realizing that what you do doesn't define who you are. Um, it's been said that the only thing that can identify or define a thing is its creator. Mm -hmm. Not what you do, but your creator. Um, and so often, especially athletes, um, especially at the elite of the elite elite level you dedicate your entire life to a sport you mm -hmm. dedicate your entire life towards mastering this craft and becoming the best at what whatever it is that you do that you become obsessed with it and this obsession turns into identity where you wrap up your entire worth into your performance and so much of performance is out of your control really right so if I was if I was coaching Tiger Woods through this season of his life, I would make sure to tell him or help him realize that golf doesn't define who he is mm -hmm. so that he can go into a match, not necessarily caring about the outcome, because, again, the outcome is out of his control and more focusing on the process and the preparation that it took to get to that moment. So if you want to be the best, yes, you have to have a level of preparation that matches that. But you also have to understand and be, be good enough to the point where whatever outcome happens, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. And in doing that, you give yourself a sense of freedom and being able to play with a sense of freedom. And with that freedom, you're allowed to play to the best of your ability. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's nothing hindering. You're you're essentially getting out of your own way. So that's 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 like the first and foremost thing. Uh, and this is the thing that I teach all of my athletes: is what you do doesn't define who you are. You are right. more than an athlete. Um, and then just kind of constantly reminding them of that because it's easy. It's so easy in this world to get distracted by what everyone is telling you to do, uh, even the people closest to you. You know your your parents. Uh, your coaches, things like that. It's it's very easy to get distracted and get, get, to get caught up in it. So it's important to have that fresh reminder every day of, hey, this doesn't define who you are yeah. uh, and, and that you're more than this. 
Um, but you've been given this gift and it's your job to maximize this gift. And the way to maximize this gift is to focus on the craft of maximizing it, not on the outcome of whatever it is that you're trying to attain, but on the process of it. Yeah. Well, I think there's value. They, they, they put value in their successes. Yes. And so what happens is they, they chase that success because then they feel valuable. Yes. And I think that that's almost backwards. You need to yep. be fulfilled in who you are and fulfilled in what you do yep. and enjoy the sport and that the success does add value, but it's not the thing that you're chasing right. in, the actual, uh, in the actual game, in the actual sport itself. Right. And the value, you nailed it on the head, Evan. The value should come from knowing that I did everything I could to master this gift that I have been given. Mm -hmm. The value shouldn't come from, is my name in the headlines? Did I win or lose? What was the scoreboard like? What's my batting average like? What's my golf score like? It mm -hmm. should be in, again, the process. Did I do everything I can to master this gift? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that um, when we're talking about this side of this this part, I think this kind of gets a little bit into that the book that you wrote, uh, essentially about uh, things that you wish you knew uh, when you were actively involved in sports. And so, I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit of more, a little bit more about why you wrote that and why that that topic is so near and dear to you. Yeah. So the reason why it's a passion of mine and so near and dear is because it was created out of immense pain. Mm -hmm. Um, so in order to kind of tell this story, I kind of have to take it all the way back, uh, okay. to when I first started playing baseball. Uh, I started playing baseball in eighth grade. I was 14 years old, the summer after my eighth grade year. And to say that my first impression of baseball was awful would be an understatement, uh, mainly because I was terrible. I mean, terrible. I'm talking going over the entire season, terrible, uh, hitting, <laughs> And not even like making contact or getting a ground ball, not even foul tipping anything, swinging through everything, striking out every at bat. Terrible. Uh, I'm also talking about uh, getting my first ground ball in the outfield, mind you. Yeah. And allowing that ground ball to go through my legs and then running after the ball, picking it up and throwing it to the wrong guy. And what should have been a single turned into a home run. Wow. Ter terrible. Again, terrible. And this probably, is eighth grade, too. So you is, oh, had yeah, an idea of what grade. you were supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eighth grade. And it was, again, my first year of playing. So all I knew that it was I loved baseball. And I got that love and passion for baseball from my dad, uh, who loved, who was a Brewers fanatic. Uh, there was not a day in the house during the summer where a Brewers game was not echoing throughout my house. So the problem, the problem with, with all of this was I wasn't the only one that believed I was terrible. My teammates believed it. My parents believed it. Uh, and unfortunately, my coach believed it. He believed it so much that he felt the need to lie to me and my parents about practice and game times just so I wouldn't show up. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the season, he took me aside and after our final huddle together, and he put his arm around me like a loving, caring coach does. And he told me three words that stuck with me for the rest of my life and created the biggest chip on my shoulder. And those three words were, you should quit. <laughs> you should quit. And he followed it up with, because I don't believe you have a future in baseball. 
Now, at that moment in my life, at 14 years old, I had to make a decision. Do I, do I listen to this coach who I desperately sought the approval of? And if you're as a coach who is listening to this right now, I guarantee every single one on your roster is desperately seeking the approval of you. And do I listen to everyone else telling me to quit, even my own mom? Or do I follow my own passion for baseball? And luckily, I followed my passion for baseball. And the next year, I was introduced to the greatest coach in all of baseball, Coach Darren Everson. He was my high school coach. Uh, he's now with the Colorado Rockies. He's the minor league hitting coordinator there. Uh, he'll be in a major league uniform within the next year or so. And the reason why I consider him the best is because he believed in me more than I believed in myself. And he demanded more from me than I demanded from myself. And he did the greatest thing any coach could ever do. He pulled out of me who I was meant to become. Mm -hmm. he, didn't, he didn't predict my future like my eighth grade coach did. He pulled out of me my future and my potential. And he did so by giving me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And despite failed opportunity after failed opportunity after failed opportunity, he didn't allow me to quit, even though I desperately wanted to at times. Yeah. Instead, he continued to give me more chances. And because of his relentless belief in me, I later went on to get a scholarship to play in college, despite being told that I should quit four years earlier. And then that summer after high school, I became the first high school baseball player to play in the Northwoods League, one of the best collegiate summer leagues in the country. And then a few years after that, I led the entire NCAA in victories. And was awarded several awards, like All-American Pitcher of the Year. Uh, and I went back to the Northwoods League that summer. And this time I was an all-star. And I was getting guys out that are now pitching in the major leagues. Some of them actually hit in the home run derby the other, the other night ago. And um, on top of all of that, I was receiving multiple offers to play professionally, despite being told that I didn't have a future in baseball just a few years prior. And the reason why I bring all of this up is because, again, those three words, you should quit, which is actually the first chapter of my book, created this giant chip on my shoulder. And, you know, chips on shoulder and trying to prove everyone wrong, it's, you know, quote unquote sexy and there's an allure to it. But I promise you, it only leads to more frustration and discouragement because the thing is, the person who said this thing to you, the person who doesn't believe in you necessarily isn't thinking about it as much as you are. So why are you wasting your time? Mm -hmm. So instead of following the hate and trying to prove everyone wrong, follow the love and listen to everyone telling you how great you are and that there's more to life than this. And that's exactly what Coach Everson did. So out of this chip on my shoulder came, again, trying to impress everyone, trying to prove my eighth grade coach wrong. And out of this came pressure, immense pressure. So to go from my junior year where I led the entire NCAA in victories to my senior year, I was trying to be this perfect person and trying to repeat my performance, my All-American performance the year before, and trying to be the captain of the team. And this pressure that I put on myself nearly crushed me. And I've, I started experiencing depression uh, again for the, for the second time. Uh, the first time was after my freshman year of college when I came back from a terrible experience at my first junior college. 
And uh, this depression eventually turned into suicidal thoughts because I lived alone. And if, 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 if you have any sort of mental health problem, isolation is the worst thing that you can do. But the problem is when you have those feelings, all you want to do is t- tuck yourself away, climb under a rock and hide. You don't want to see anyone. You don't want to you don't want to even get out of bed. You just don't even want to be alive anymore. And that's essentially what happened to me. And the first day of my winter break of my senior year, I was driving back to the house I grew up in and it was about midnight and I started having suicidal thoughts. I thought, you know, if I just swerve my car into a tree or if I pull my car out in front of a semi truck, uh, all of this could end. And uh, I decided to follow through with it. And um, I got to the intersection of Highway 26 and County Road End, just outside of Whitewater, Wisconsin, where I went to where I went to college. And I sat at this stoplight or stop sign for what felt like an eternity, because, again, it was midnight. There was no cars out waiting for a semi truck to come down the highway. And when one finally was coming, uh, I closed my eyes. I gripped tight onto the steering wheel. Uh, I actually bent the steering wheel. I was gripping, I was gripping so tight. And um, I slowly let off the brakes and I uh, rolled out into the highway and I braced for impact. And what felt like an eternity again I realized I didn't get hit and I looked to my left where the semi truck was coming from and uh, I saw that he had stopped probably 20, 25 yards away from me and he was honking his horn at me probably because he thought I fell asleep at the wheel or something (laughs) and I got so embarrassed. I, I peeled off the highway and I never told anyone about this for the rest of my career. Actually, I've n- I'd never really told anybody about this until I wrote my book. Yeah. And the problem was, I thought by putting it away in this embarrassing moment, uh, that it would just go away, but it didn't. And the rest of my senior year, I was wearing this mask where I was portraying this perfect person, this perfect captain, this perfect All-American, this perfect person that everybody looked up to. But on the inside, I was screaming for help but I couldn't. And there's a lesson to be learned in this, especially for those of you who are listening right now. Don't put it on the person who you know is struggling to reach out for help. Because I can tell you, I've been to the darkest of darks, the deepest of depressions. And the last thing I wanted to do was reach out. That was the very last thing I wanted to do. So instead, let's put the responsibility on us and let's reach out to them. Reach out to the strong people, the people who portray it, they have it all put together because nobody does. Reach out to the person who you haven't necessarily necessarily seen in a long time, who used to be around a lot. Reach out to those people. And, you know, after putting this all away, uh, again, it didn't get better. It got worse, especially when my identity, my escape, baseball, was taken away from me. My career ended the way I didn't want it to, and I was left with this constant questioning of why am I not getting a chance to play? And the the worst part was I, I saw guys that I was playing with and against who I thought I was better than, who was getting opportunity after opportunity to play at this next level, 
that I wasn't. And I didn't know why until now. But this constant questioning, this constant wonder ate at me. And again, the next year I was in grad school at Bailey University. And a few weeks before winter break, I decided I'm going to end it all again. And literally seconds before I pulled the trigger, seconds, I thought I turned my phone off and apparently I didn't. My phone rang and it was a former teammate of mine. And somehow I had the wherewithal to answer, but I was so distraught that I couldn't even say a word. And this teammate was calling me because he just flew into Dallas-Fort Worth, and Dallas is an hour north of Waco, where I was, and he thought his, his flight was canceled, so he thought it would be a great opportunity to come spend time with me and to, and to see me, because we hadn't seen each other in a while. And when I answered and I couldn't talk, he quickly realized something was wrong. And while this was happening, all he did was get his, get his rental car and then drive, and he stayed on the phone with me. He didn't say a word. He just kept reminding me. I'm here. I'm still here. I'm still here until he got to my apartment. And then he stayed with me for a few days until I, I was okay. But this was kind of a short-term fix because, again, this constant questioning was nagging at me. And a few years later, I actually moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm working at a private facility. I'm surrounded by professional baseball guys. And I'm hearing their stories. I'm hearing, I'm seeing their talents. And again, this question of uh, why am I not playing baseball anymore? You know, because again, I dedicated my whole life to becoming a professional baseball player and that didn't happen. And I felt like a failure. So I thought, you know, this third time, this, this time, I'm going to take this seriously. And I planned out my entire suicide attempt. I planned the day I was going to do it. I planned how I was going to do it. I planned... Uh, when I was going to do it, uh, I wrote a suicide note and I, I, I said all my goodbyes. And on the day that I was planning on uh, killing myself, I get a phone call again from a mentor of mine who I hadn't heard from in a long time. And I answered thinking it would be the last time I'd ever talk to him. And thank God I did because, quite frankly, he saved my life. And when he asked me how I was doing, he refused to accept my answer of I'm fine. <laughs> he kept asking, no, really, how are you doing? No, really, how are you doing? No, really, how are you doing? Until I finally told him. And then he continued to stay on the phone with me until I promised him that I wouldn't go through with it. And then he continued to call me every hour on the hour, even in the middle of the night for the next five days, just to make sure that I was okay. And in these conversations, he started pouring truth into me, speaking life into me, telling me things I've never heard before and counseling me and encouraging me. And he said something to me in these conversations that would eventually radically change my life. And those things were, Riley, there is purpose in your pain. And we don't go through what we go through for ourselves. We go through what we go through in order to help others who are going through the same thing. Now, again, at the time, I didn't know what this meant because I felt like I was drowning every single day of my life. I had a huge financial burden. I had a huge identity crisis. And I just 
I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to see anyone. I just wanted my life to be over. And I thought, like, how dare you say that? How dare you say there is purpose in this? I don't want to live anymore. And again, out of these conversations, he he also encouraged me to write in a journal and in and write about my entire baseball career. Cause up until that moment, I put I pushed baseball aside. I actually shoved it aside because I, I wanted nothing to do with it anymore. I became very bitter towards it. I hated it. I resented it. It broke my heart. And I didn't want to know. I couldn't go to games because I didn't want to know what it was like to sit on the other side of the fence. So again, much like my first suicide attempt, I pushed it aside, hoping it would just go away, but it didn't. It Mm -hmm. festered and grew and grew some more. So in this journal, I had to write about everything from the first error I made in the outfield, my first game in eighth grade, to the last pitch I threw in the College World Series my senior year. Every little detail of it in between, every story in it, no matter how humiliating, no matter how embarrassing it is. And in the process of writing this, I started healing because I started addressing these things that I had suppressed deep down inside, like growing up in a household that was filled with alcoholism and oppression, like my own struggles with alcoholism and my own struggles with trying to lie, steal and cheat my way up to the top and manipulate girls just so I could sleep with them, right? Because that's every athlete's dream. And also in this process of writing, I started meeting more and more athletes who were also struggling with the same things, particularly former professional and collegiate athletes with struggling with identity crisis, depression, not knowing what to do with life after sports. And the stories I heard, Evan, were so heartbreaking that I thought, I became, I became so discontented about it that I thought, you know, somebody's got to do something about this. This is a serious problem that nobody's talking about. And I remember calling my mentor shortly after, the mentor that saved my life. And I remember telling him about this, and he starts laughing at me. And he says, Riley, you remember one of our first conversations where I said there's purpose in our pain and that we don't go through what we go through for ourselves? We go through it so we can help others who are going to go through the same thing. This, this is the purpose. You are that somebody to do something about this. So that was when my journal changed into my book. And my book changed from not only, again, about my baseball career and everything that I was going through on and off the field, but the second part was born. And the second part is the section in each chapter, at the end of each chapter, called Knowledge Applied. Because knowledge applied to me is wisdom. And wisdom is the greatest thing we could ever ask for or receive, according to King Solomon. And I believe that to be true. So in this section of knowledge applied at the end of each chapter, because each chapter is a game or a season that I pitched in and followed up by this knowledge applied section. And in this knowledge applied section is the life lesson that I learned from this game or season in my life and how I've applied it to my life after sports and how you as the reader can apply it to yours. And funny thing is, actually, I know you attend Church on the Move. Uh, That following weekend after I had this conversation, uh, Ethan Vance was talking at Church on the Move, and he talked about holy discontentment. And he said, the things that give us the most discontent are God's way of telling us that we are the ones to do something about it. (laughs) And it was just like, okay, I hear you. I hear you loud and clear, God. I get it. I get it. Here I am. 
but the funny thing is I got done with the book right after, shortly after our conversation and uh, I put it off. I pushed it aside because quite frankly, it scared the hell out of me because I'm incredibly vulnerable in it. Again, I tell stories that I've never told anyone before ever. And quite frankly, also I was, I was afraid of the magnitude that I think this book has. And so I put it off for a couple of years until I went on vacation in Los Angeles, California. Now, at the time, I was a strength coach still. I was a strength coach at Baylor with the football team. Then I came here and worked in, in a private facility. And I was, still, I was still doing that. And I was really good at it. And I was making a great living doing it. But I felt this constant pull and this constant tug on my heart that you need to finish this, that you need to pursue what this book has. And... I was at a crossroads in my life and I had to make a decision. And I met a woman on vacation who solidified my decision. And she said, you know, I don't, I don't even know how we got to the topic of the conversation or even why we even started talking. But we start talking and I share with her my entire baseball career. I had share with her, you know, my book, my struggles with depression, identity crisis and suicide afterwards. And she starts crying in the middle of our conversation. And she says, why are, why are you crying? Or I, I ask her why she's crying. And she says, you remind me of my son. He was a baseball player too. And I said, was? What is, what is he doing now? And she said, well, the minor league team that he was pitching for unfortunately decided to release him uh, shortly after he injured his shoulder and needed surgery. And that was the end of his career and the end of his life. And... A few weeks after his release, he decided to commit suicide. And on, he wrote a suicide note. And on that note, it said, all I am is a baseball player. All I know is baseball. I don't want to know anything else. And I don't want to be anyone else. And Evan, I can tell you that those same lines were on my suicide note. And we, I start to cry. We hug, we finish our conversation, and as, as I'm leaving, or as we're parting ways, she turns to me and says, my son needed to read your book. And uh, needless to say, I uh, came back to Tulsa and I finished the book after that. And uh, you want to talk about having uh, a motivation <laughs> to finish? That was it. And... I, I got back and I finished. And as I was finishing, I went back and I was editing through. And you know how in each book there's drop caps at the beginning of each chapter, which is the first letter of each chapter. It's usually three lines long, uh, big, bold letters. And I had 20 chapters in my book. And the 20 letters, the 20 drop caps spelled out something. And up until that moment, I knew, I knew the why. I knew what I was supposed to do. I believe in a future where every athlete understands that sports don't define who they are. Sports are a platform, not a calling. But I didn't know what that, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know what the message was until I read what the drop caps spelled out. And those drop caps spelled out, I am more than an athlete. Whoa. Wow. I still get goosebumps thinking about it because that wasn't my doing. That was clearly divine. And you want to talk about having goosebumps for days after that? Amazing. Um, so that was when everything changed. 
and I quickly published my book and I started speaking and I start sharing that you are more than an athlete. You are more than anything you have done, are doing and ever will do. You are more than your circumstance because I'm living proof of that, that your circumstance will not last no matter how bad it is, but you will. And that's because you are more than your circumstance. And most importantly, you are more than who you believe you are. And you are more than who others say you are. And I'm telling you, Evan, the response that I've gotten through this message that God has given me um, and being able to be a vessel for him has been incredible, has been incredible. To say that this world, especially our country, has is filled with hurting kids who just want to be heard and just want to know that it's okay not to be okay and that they're not alone in their fight. That would be a huge understatement yeah. because I can show you a, an inbox full of messages from, from these kids. And I can share story after short story after story that I've heard from these kids that I get a chance to talk to coming up to me and shaking my hand and hugging me a complete stranger and sharing their deepest, darkest struggles with me. And it raises the question of why am I the first person to let them know this? Yeah. So again, as, as great as it is, it's also incredibly heartbreaking. So really that's, again, the common theme has been create what you wish existed yeah. in my life. And that has really been the last five or so years of my life is creating what I wish existed. And that comes through the book and the message I share in the book that sports don't define who you are and that everything you're learning to be successful in sports is everything you need to know to be successful in life. These are principles and they apply to everything. And then also being able to share a message that I wish I would have heard back when I was playing a message that says you are more than an athlete and also having a mentorship program that I wish I had when I was playing a mentorship program that teaches me all of these principles. So it's been an it's been an incredible journey, Evan, and I'm very very grateful to be alive today. Very very grateful. Well, I'm I'm grateful that you're alive too, man. Thank you so much for sharing that because I know, uh, and I'm sure the audience can kind of pick up just the emotion that's kind of behind this, just how real this is to you, and and how fresh this journey is. And uh, I'm honored that you would be willing to share that with, with with this audience because I believe that there's people listening to this message today. They're listening to just me and you talking, and they're hearing and they're relating, and they're they're probably feeling those goosebumps too. They're feeling that 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 hope start to well up inside that it's not just me. I'm not the only person alone in this. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm dealing with this and it doesn't have to be sports. It can be your career. It can be, uh, however you define yourself. Yep. Um, it can be, you know, arts or music. It, it doesn't matter what it is. I think these are, like you said, because they're principles, these are things that are, that transcend whatever you're doing, but there's things that we deal with as people. We were things that we deal with as leaders. And I think when you're in that leadership role, when you're in that athletic role where you are, kind of the focus of the attention and you you feel that success and you feel that accomplishment and it feels so good it's so easy to tie your identity to that and like you said like i all i am is a baseball player was all that you thought you were yep. because that's what everyone told you you were and that's what you convinced yourself yep. that you were yep and what no one else was saying was no you're riley 
Yeah. And you were created in the image of somebody mm -hmm. and you were created with a purpose. Mm -hmm. And that purpose is not baseball. Mm -hmm. That purpose is influencing and changing lives yep. and reflecting back, be a mirror back to your creator, being a mirror back to something more than yourself. When you take that uh, and really process it, yep. it takes a lot of that pressure off to where you don't feel like you're not enough. Yeah. You feel like you're exactly uniquely created to be what you were created to be. So I hope that the audience can really latch onto that and connect with that. And if you are struggling with that, know that you're not alone and tear down that wall yeah. of defining yourself by something or yeah. even in a, I actually talked about it uh, in a previous podcast um, uh, talking, I, I classified it as invincibility. You create this shell of invincibility because you have all the answers, you have uh, everything together, you don't show that weakness. And that's part of what you kind of have to do in sports. You have to create this um, illusion that you have everything under control. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to be a playmaker and make it happen. But the, the problem that happens is, like what you were saying, at some point, yep. you're screaming on the inside, I'm not okay. Yep. I'm not what I'm projecting. And you need somebody like that mentor, somebody like that friend that's going to break through and really see who you are and yeah. see the hurt between all of all. They're going to get past the shell and they're going to see that. And those people were able to reach into your lives at that, that moment that was most important to literally save your life. Yeah. And again, and, it goes into, sorry to cut you off, Evan. Um, it goes into, again, we can't put it on them, the people who are hurting to reach out. My life was literally saved by two people reaching out to me because they mm -hmm. had a quote unquote hunch to hear me or to, to, to reach out to me and to see how I was doing. And then they also had the foresight and the intuition to see that he's not being truthful when he's telling me that he's fine mm -hmm. and then continuing to ask me over and over and over again. No, really, how are you doing? And we, and, and this story is great because everyone who is listening to this right now, you and me, Evan can be that person for someone else. Mm -hmm. And we have the power to do that. So again, instead of, instead of putting out on them to reach out for help, we need to reach out to them. That's, yeah. that's, that's end of the story. <laughs> connection is the only answer connection <laughs> is the only answer <laughs> yeah. well we have a responsibility and i think uh, the responsibility is even greater now that we're talking about it and yes. as an audience because you're listening about it like you now know you know that even though you may talk to the person that you feel like has it all together you may talk to the person that you feel like has all the answers mm -hmm. You have a responsibility to connect with that person, especially if they're a person that you already have a relationship with and stay engaged. Don't pull back. And I'm definitely guilty of this. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm reevaluating as we're talking, <laughs> like all these people that I've kind of that I've written off. They're, they're yeah. literally people that I'm just like, man, you know, what? I just can't relate, re relate to that person anymore. Yeah. Uh, every every time they say something or do something, they just have it all together. And, and I've literally have chosen not to develop a relationship with them because yeah. um, they're so close. And for me, that should be a sign that that closure, that uh, they're essentially secluding themselves for a reason because they yeah. don't want to let anybody in because they are hurting. Right. Or at least that's that's what I'm getting out of this. Right. And and the thing with that is 
in order for us to get them to open up to us, I get this question a lot, especially from coaches, is how do I get my players to be vulnerable to me? Mm-hmm. How do I create buy-in? And the answer is if you want your athletes to be vulnerable to you, if you want your children to be vulnerable to you, if you want your friends to be vulnerable to you, if you want your employees or your coworkers to be vulnerable to you and open up to you, you have to open up to them first. And that is why so many of these kids that I get a chance to talk to are opening up to me because I'm the one that's coming up and saying, I've struggled with this. And I talk about my depression. I talk about my issues with suicide in great detail. And then it makes them feel like, okay, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. There is somebody standing right in front of me who has struggled with this as well. Yeah. So again, if you want vulnerability, it starts with you. Yeah. Well, that's where true relationship happens. I mean, that's right. people want to help other people. I think intrinsically, it's easier for me to help you than it is for me yeah. to help myself. Yeah. So that's what's going to draw me in. And, and through that, I'm going to build that relationship. I'm going to build that trust. And part of me relating to you is going to be me being vulnerable at that point. So if, if, if you're approaching somebody and you're having these struggles and challenges and and you're, and you're being vulnerable to them, a a natural byproduct is that person is going to be vulnerable back to you. Yeah. And And the thing is, the thing is, Craig Rochelle says this, the pastor of life church, he says, uh, and this translates into leadership. People would rather follow someone who is real than someone who pretends to always be right. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it is so powerful to be able to sit across the table from my athletes or be able to talk on the phone with some of my athletes and tell them, I've been through what you're going through right now. And this is what I wish I would have done. This is what I did that didn't work. Uh, and this is what I think that you should do. But I've been there. And the greatest part about that is I made it out alive. Mm-hmm. And that means you can too. So there's a whole lot of power in that. (laughs) Riley, thank you so much for (laughs) sharing your heart on all this. I know this is, I mean, I'm really excited for the audience to tune in and listen to this. And I have a feeling that this is going to be a podcast that a lot of people listen to multiple times because, or, or also share a lot because this is something that they're going to, it's going to trigger something for them. And they're going to say, I need to share this with so-and-so I need to tell so-and-so about this because okay. it, it, for me, it's everything that you're talking about. And, and, and when we're, especially when you're hitting on vulnerability, like it, that is so fresh to me right now. And yeah. I will also say this, it's so foreign to me as uh, as a human being, as a, as a man, as my personality, as type. Man, yeah. it is literally the complete opposite of what I feel like I'm intrinsically programmed to do. And yeah. so, and I know that I'm not the only one that deal with it, but, no. but when I'm, when I'm talking to like, uh, again, leaders, type A personalities that, you know, you get these directors out there, they have gotten and ascended to that position, not because they were vulnerable, but because they had all the answers and yep. they projected this certain thing. Um, one of my examples was Donald Trump. Donald Trump has written uh, this projection of who he is to the very highest level. Mm-hmm. But I would venture to say that if I were to sit down and be vulnerable with Donald Trump and if he would actually be vulnerable back, yep. I do not believe that what he projects is the actual is the actual actual person. Right. And I think that even at that level, the, the challenge that we run into with this is you can be really successful, never being vulnerable. Yep. You can be very, very, uh, 
you can rise to the highest level. Mm-hmm. You can achieve wealth. You can achieve fame. You can achieve all these different things. And then you have the resources then to try to fill yourself or numb yourself mm. with whatever you can mm-hmm. to kind of bury down that pain that you're feeling. That person that's crying out, you're like, hey, tell you what, I am crying inside. I'm going to go just numb it. I'm going to yep. go. I'm going to I'm going to drink. I'm going to do drugs. I'm going to uh, chase women. I'm going to do whatever it is. Yep. And you can then numb that for a long time. And you have so much resources at your disposal. You can go from thing to thing to thing to thing. Yep. And you can go through your entire life numbing it and be totally fine with it. But you're really not. You you just you just you suppress and suppress and suppress. And at some point it comes out. And that's yeah. why we look at guys like Anthony Bourdain or or some yeah. of those uh Kate Spade, some of these people that have recently taken their own lives, they've achieved this amazing level. And you look at that and you just scratch your head and you just don't understand how how did that happen? It happened because they were screaming for help inside. And all they did was suppress it mm-hmm. and they never, tr- never really approached true connection. And the, I think the key takeaway is, is if you have everything that you've, you've dreamed of, you have the TV show, you have the major company, you have the major brand fulfillment, peace, and happiness do not come from that. Mm-hmm. And if that's what you're chasing, yep. then chasing that through success is not going to get you there. Right. That's very, that's very, very, very well said, Evan. Very well said. And a hundred percent correct. When I look at Donald Trump, I see a man who is constantly trying to impress his father, especially if you know the backstory of him and his father's relationship and him constantly living in the shadow of his father. Um, So that's what I see when I see Donald Trump. Um, I mean, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah, I get it, it sounds so crazy too. Like, yeah, this guy's president. <laughs> yeah, he feels like he's still trying to prove something to his dad. So again, my my so my job, my job title, mental conditioning coach. This is a, this is a great uh, analogy. Is uh, uh, technically, I can't say the word sports psychologist because it's illegal, especially in the state of Oklahoma, to use the word psychology unless you have a license. And since there is no license that exists for sports psychology, I can't say that I'm a sports psychologist. So instead, I this is why you hear like mental performance coach, uh, mental health coach, uh, things like that, uh, mental conditioning coach. So I have these athletes that come to me with a problem that they're having on the field, whether that's nervousness, fear, whatever it is, whatever obstacle that is hindering their performance. And it's my job as their mental conditioning coach to intervene. Because there was something in their life that either something was said to them, a.k.a. you should quit for me, um, that has defined who they are. They've been told this thing so much, either to they've told this thing so much to themselves that they've believed it to be true. So my job is to come in and intervene and say, where did you learn this? Who told you this? Why do you believe this to be true? Can you give me examples as to why this is true? And more often than not, they can't. But in doing that, it creates awareness. And out of awareness comes real change. They say knowledge is power, but awareness is much more powerful. And when we figure out what it is, what that root cause of the problem is, 
because often what's going on in the field, what's going on at business, uh, what's going on at home, uh, the things that are hindering our performance have nothing to do with where that performance is being hindered. Yeah. It has everything to do with what's happening at home or what happened in the house you grew up in or what happened during your childhood. So when we figure out that root cause of the problem, my job is to tell them the truth, to encourage them, to tell them, pour life into them constantly over and over and over again until they condition themselves to believe it. Hence the word mental conditioning coach. Yeah. So if I was working with Donald Trump, I would tell him that you are not who your father says you are. And I would, I would tell him this over and over and over again until he finally believed it to be true. Now, he's had 70 plus years of telling himself this to be true. So <laughs> it's going to take a whole lot of time to do that. Yeah. And so many people are looking for quick fixes and it just doesn't happen that way. Instead, we try to treat symptoms and fix these problems. And in my realm, uh, a lot of the guys that I work with or my fellow colleagues are you know, trying to correct these issues on the field with goal setting and visualization and affirmations and all of these things. And they're great, but they only work short term. If I don't get to the root cause of the problem and tell them who they really are and where their worth really comes from, they're going to continue to circle around the same mountains. They're going to continue to have the same problems. They're going to continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over again. And they're ultimately going to continue to sell them sell short and they're going to limit who they what they are capable of and limit who they were created to be mm. ultimately getting in their own way. So again, uh, I don't know how we got down this road, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's basically what mental conditioning coach means to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you nailed it too. A, a lot of times I get the question, I do a lot of Q and A's and I get the question of, of, you know, substance abuse a lot because again, I grew up in a household where, uh, there was a lot of alcoholism. There was a lot of oppression. There was depression. My parents uh, didn't love themselves. And in doing that, they taught me not to love myself. So parents, if, you're, if you are a parent and you're listening to this, your child is listening to everything you say and is watching everything you do. So whatever it is that you're dealing with, find somebody to help you because this will transcend to your child. It will, whether you like that or not. And again, so, so for me, I don't have kids yet, but I've made the decision about four years ago, a little over four years ago, that I'm going to be sober, completely sober. And before that, I kind of had an inclining. I actually came home. For, I, was, I was literally doing the walk of shame. I, I had a real uh, drunken, stupid night. I woke up to a girl I didn't know. Um, and I had the walk of shame. And I had this still small voice tell me, you're so mad at your parents for their alcoholism, but all you're doing is continuing the cycle. So I would go out to dinners after that. I felt extreme guilt. Like, what am I doing? Why do I continue to do this? Because again, I was just suppressing my pain because I, yeah. I didn't deal with it before then. And uh, finally, it was just like, no, there can't be any compromise here. So I haven't had a, a single drop of alcohol in over five, in over four years. And it's not for me. It's for my future children. So they don't have to go through what I went through. That yeah. they don't have to grow up in the house that I grew up in. And, uh, um, 
Yeah, it's it's just so important. It's so important because again, all the problems that you're dealing with right now, your kids will deal with them too. Yeah, there well, is. I do have I do have kids, and I do know <laughs> that they do notice. And, and the yeah. crazy thing is, like some of the things that they will say, or some of some of the actions that they do, you at some point you're like, where where did you where did you learn that? And then you kind of think about it a little bit longer, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, I actually remember where you learned that. They, yeah, they they are a lot smarter than you think. They retain a lot more than you think, right? Uh, and they are paying attention and. I mean, to, yep. to go a little deeper on that, they are constantly looking for your approval. Yes. And the, here's, the, here's the thing about uh, your approval. It doesn't cost anything. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely free. So mm-hmm. why not give them your approval every single day? It's something that they're chasing. They're going to find their fulfillment right now in your approval. Why, why would you withhold that? Yeah. Why would you, why would you keep that away from them when... I mean, their your role in their life is a very temporary role, mm-hmm. but your job is to launch them into being the best person that they were created to be. Yes, build them on a good foundation so that at whenever that is, and hopefully it's before they turn thirty, whenever <laughs> that is, they can yeah, actually get out there and, and be fully functioning people, yeah. as opposed to people that have that chip on their shoulder or, or have mm-hmm. that constant desire to please somebody. And because they couldn't please you, they're going to chase that through other people and people will always fail them. Yes. Yep. And you said it, you said it, there was a really strong word uh, sentence you said in there and that is who they were created to be. Mm -hmm. So often as parents, they lose sight of that and think who I want them to be. And I think it first starts this whole change awareness again, awareness, becoming aware of the fact that they're not your children. They're God's children. Yep. And that's who you're supposed to raise them to be. I think that's where it starts. Yeah. Um, and then constantly pulling out of them, again, who they were meant to be. Uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful exercise I use with um, my athletes that I work with. And I got this from Jim Thompson, uh, the founder and CEO of uh, Positive Coaching Alliance. If you're a coach, I, I strongly suggest that you invest and you follow them because it's just a great resource to utilize for coaches. Again, that's Positive Coaching Alliance. And he has this wonderful tool called uh, You're the Type of Person Who Blank. So I'll give you a scenario. Uh, I have an athlete who we talked about this earlier, pressure situation comes in. Let's say he's a hitter and he comes in with the bases loaded, two outs, and he has a chance to drive in the winning run but he he strikes out and his team loses. So in the next conversation that we have, we're going to talk about this. And it's so easy for us uh, as people to take all of our problems, all of our struggles, all of our setbacks and internalize them and exaggerate them and make them personal. We like to think that we're the only ones that are going through this and that no one else struggles with what we struggle with. And that's just not true. And the other thing we like to do is we like to allow our failures to define us. Just because we have the ability to fail doesn't mean that we are failures. We all have the ability to fail. So again, in our next uh, conversation, me and this athlete will have, we'll talk about this and I'll I'll tell him or her, hey, I I know you would have really loved to have driven in the winning run, but you know what I like about you? You're the type of person who 
blanks. Fill in the blank. You're the type of person who will bounce back from this. You're the type of person who will learn from this mistake. You're the type of person who would have done that in the first place because a lot of other kids are too nervous to, but you weren't. You stood up there and you swung your heart out. And again, that's that in doing this, the, the response you're going to get is, oh, really? I am? I am that kid? Really? You think so? Yeah. And in doing this, again, you're building up their sense of identity. You're calling out of them the characteristics that are inside of them and helping them master these things. How, how great would our childhood have been if we had somebody constantly telling us, you know what I love about you, Evan? You are so compassionate. I love that you just opened that door for that woman. I love that you helped your friend out and you gave him half of your lunch because he didn't have a lunch to eat. I love that you took the initiative and you showed leadership by leading your group in your class. I love that about you. And somebody constantly telling you over and over again this, these truths about you. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to develop all of these skills because you want more of that. You want that approval that yeah. you were talking about. So again, I think it's it start we 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 rely so much on these kids to figure things out on their own, but they're kids, they're kids, and we think that because they're kids and they quote unquote don't know what the real world is like, that they couldn't have real world problems. But I promise you that is not true. I wish you could sit in my in my office and hear some of the things that I have to hear or get to hear some of the heartbreaking things. These kids have problems, and just because they don't know how to articulate them doesn't mean that they don't have them. Right. And again, that's our job. Again, the greatest responsibility we could do as leaders is pull out of them who they were meant to become. Yeah. And that starts with our words. Our words have so much power, a lot more power than we could even comprehend. We can't, <laughs> even, we can't even begin to comprehend it, but we've all felt it. We've yeah. all felt it. If I were to ask all of the listeners right now to think of the worst thing a leader has ever told them, a parent or a coach, they could probably think of it instantly. Right. Because that's that's the power of our words. They're, they can either be weapons of mass destruction or they can be weapons of mass restoration. Wow. Weapons of mass destruction in my eighth grade coach telling me that I should quit to the next year, Coach Everson, weapon of mass restoration telling me that you're better than you think you are. You're better than the choices you're making. There's more to you and your life than the environment you're living in. And he constantly told me this over and over again, over again. And I am where I am today because of him. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's so awesome. You're bringing that up. We recently had a guy named Brandon Oldhelm on the podcast and he's a first generation college graduate. Oh, wow. And uh, he was talking about that's exactly what you're saying. People would see stuff inside of him that he didn't see inside of himself. And he was around enough people that kept pulling that stuff out of him to the point where he got his master's degree. Wow. Uh, he became a uh, aide for the mayor. Now he works for the George Kaiser family foundation. Wow. Like he's, he's had so many things that he's accomplished. And through that, I mean, the actual name of that podcast is you never know who's watching because through that mm. now he's actually had, he's an inspiration for his, uh, nieces and nephews to to graduate college. Wow. I think he, if I remember correctly, his mom actually went to college after he did. Uh, wow. And it was just one of those things where it all started with somebody seeing something inside of him that he didn't see. They they told him about it. They they encouraged him, 
and constantly uh, put that inside of him uh, that was already there, but they developed it. And by developing it, it allowed him to achieve things that his family would have, his family had never achieved to that point. And so now he's actually, um, I don't know if he'll actually take credit for it or not, but I'm going to give him credit for it. I, I believe that he's actually changed the trajectory of his family by the things that he's done just because of those people speaking into his life. No doubt. that That's how much of a difference that makes. 100%. 100%. And kudos to you, Brandon. Kudos to you. Uh, yeah. Thank God for the people that he brought, he brought into your life, Brandon. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Well, I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit. Um, and, but I know that we uh, are one of the things that I like to always do is, is give uh, the person on the podcast that I'm talking to the, the opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Hmm. Uh, and I feel like we've been doing that kind yeah. of this, this whole time, but yeah. uh, I want to, I want to cut through all of the different topics and the agendas that we had and really get to like, what would you say your message is to young business leaders? If you don't change what you believe, nothing will change. That's my message. Um, truly figure out who it is that you were created to be and who your creator is and what he has to say about you. You know, for the longest time, I struggled with self-worth. Uh, longest time. Because again, I grew up in a household where there was no self-worth. So I didn't, I didn't know what that was. So I constantly felt inadequate. And this is why I constantly tried to improve and impress others. Because I never felt like I was good enough, smart enough, good looking enough, strong enough. I mean, you name it. I never felt like I was enough. And this was until my late adulthood or my early adulthood, like early 20s. And when I finally met um, one of my mentors who I consider a spiritual father, I call him dad, uh, Dr. John Serino. He's actually an ophthalmologist here in town. And he would always tell me, um, if you don't change what you believe, nothing will change. And I didn't know what that meant until I started my mentorship program. I, I knew a little bit about what that meant, but I didn't know what the magnitude of that statement and what it truly meant until I started the mentorship program. And again, I started doing all of these sports psychology practices with my athletes, you know, the goal setting, the visualization, the affirmations, auditing their schedule, auditing who their friends are, things like that, mental toughness exercises. Um, and it would work short term. But eventually we would start to have the same problems again. And it was because I wasn't changing their foundation. I wasn't changing what they believed about themselves. More importantly, I wasn't teaching them who they really are and what that means. When I say that I am a child of God, the power that comes with that statement is immeasurable. Right. I don't think, I think, 99% of people don't know what that really, really, truly means. And to me, that makes me feel a sense of self-worth. That makes me say, there's a statement that I read that just wrecked my world. And that said, he created me. He created me. For the longest time, I thought I was just this robot in an assembly line that I was not unique. I didn't have any special gifts. I thought my gift was baseball, but then that didn't happen. So it just got worse and worse and worse until I read that statement. And then I realized that what my worth is, I, I, was, I was worth the price of his son. Wow. I was worth 
the sacrifice of his own son. That's how worthy I am. And that's how worthy everyone is that is listening to this because he didn't just die for a certain amount of people. He died for everyone. And that to me tells me that God loves everyone. Even you, Evan, even me, despite all of our mistakes and flaws and all of these horrible things that we don't want to tell anybody about, he still loves me. So again, if you don't change what you believe more specifically about yourself and who your creator is and how your creator sees you, nothing will change. Nothing will change. There was several towns Jesus went into during his three years of trying to spread the gospel that he couldn't do work in because of the town's unbelief. And there was a, I got a word yesterday that said, God can't bless what you're not grateful for. So again, if you don't change what you believe, <laughs> nothing will change. You are forgiven. And I don't think many people fully comprehend what that really means. You are a child of God, and I don't think many people comprehend what that fully means. And you are worthy enough for the sacrifice of his own son. And I don't think many people fully comprehend what that means. Again, if you don't change what you believe, nothing will change. Awesome, Riley. Thank you so much for taking the time to especially share uh, your story, being so vulnerable and and, and really uh, embracing who you are, the the good parts, the painful parts, all of that, because I think I think that's what makes you real. That's what makes you relatable. And that's what gives you the ability to speak into people's lives who maybe wouldn't be listening uh, most of the time. So thank you for doing that and, and choosing uh, to be a part of this podcast to share that with my audience. I love how we're talking about changing uh, your your thought process and, and, and changing your belief systems. Because like you said, it's so easy to float through life and not really know the power of some of these principles and the powers yeah. of some of these statements that we're making. Uh, you can still get through not fully comprehending what all that means, but true fulfillment, true peace, and really having a better understanding of what you were created to be and what you were created to do comes mm -hmm. from understanding those statements. And when you have that, uh, and hopefully people sharing their stories like you're sharing today will help people better connect with that. So Riley, again, man, thank you so much for being a part of this. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Listeners, do not go anywhere. I ended the podcast a little earlier than I was planning on it with Riley. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to give Riley the opportunity for them to connect or for you to connect with him. Uh, so I want him to talk about that. But I think he's also talk, uh, has a, an actual special for our audience. So Riley, uh, tell everybody, how do they connect with you? How do they find the resources that you have available if they have an athlete that's going through some of the things we're talking about or they're wanting to coach somebody? And also, where do they find your book? Uh, great question. Uh, you can connect with me. I'm on all social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, even Snapchat. Uh, my username for all of those or my handle for all of those is at Riley Tincher, just how my name is spelt. Um, you can connect with me there. Uh, feel free to drop me an email at Riley at RileyTincher.com. Uh, and speaking of RileyTincher.com, 
My book is available there, and I uh, created a discount code for all of the listeners today. The young businessman of Tulsa Nation, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's. Uh, I think I'm, I'm saying that correctly, right, Evan? I don't know. Yep. Okay. Yep, you are. Um, <laughs> and the discount code is YBT20. YBT20 uh, for 20% off of any purchase of my book on my website. And it's also available on Amazon and it'll shortly be available as an audiobook. And I was the one uh, actually that narrated it. So uh, you'll get to hear my voice on there as well. And you get to hear me tell my story. Um, but yeah, if, if you have an athlete and, and necessarily they may not necessarily be struggling you know, immensely with something, but there's something that is inhibiting their performance on the field. Uh, please, I would love to. I would love to work with them. Uh, love to coach them. So let's connect there as well. Again, my email is Riley at RileyTincher.com, or you can find me uh, anywhere uh, on social media. And as well as if you guys, if any of you are a coach or a business and want me to come speak to your team or your organization, uh, I'm available there as well. Um, so please feel free to connect. Awesome. Thank you, Riley. Listeners, we'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.